Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. We're going to do something than what I said we were going to do. It's a curveball. Um, I said that we we're going to take a couple of off in between the Shema service and the Amida to do Hashkivenu and the blessing after Hashkivenu from the nighttime Mariv. Um, but um, we're going to do something else instead. And then next week, we're going to start to do that. So um, I went to a phenomenal shiur or class this past week, and I wanted to share some of the material from it. Of course, uh, I was a little hesitant because the teacher was great. And I know that I'm not going to give it over as well as he did. And I'm going to say, oh, that wasn't anywhere near as good as what I heard, but I'm going to do my best. So last week, some of you may know this, there was something called, I think it was called the Big Jewish Climate Fest. It was this phenomenal thing, lasted all week long with dozens and dozens of sessions about uh, Judaism and eco-everything. It was a great example of, like, they probably would have had a conference for three days, and I wouldn't have been able to go wherever it was, and lots of other people wouldn't have been able to go, but because we're living in a pandemic times, they probably had, I'm guessing, hundreds of people at events who otherwise never would have been, never would have been at that event. I want to say to them, like, oh, if you do it again next year, make sure to not have it in person again. Make sure to just have it be broadcast. So um, I went to probably about half a dozen sessions, and they were fun, like plastics and Shemitah and everything. So this was a shiur about, um, it had to do with the second paragraph of the Shema. And that's why I'm going to share that with you and share that material with you today, because that is fresh in our mind, because we did that recently, probably just about, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago or something like that. Um, And it looked at the second paragraph of the Shema from a whole different kind of framework than I had thought of before. It's like, oh, I never looked at it that way. So I thought I would share with you. This was um, taught by Rabbi um, uh, Eben Leder, who is a faculty member at Hebrew College, the the non-denominational rabbinical school in um, Boston. I think he's mostly a Hasidut guy. I think that's his field. This wasn't a particular um, Hasidic teaching. So, um, and I'll screen share his text in a moment. Um, I'll figure out if I can put it into the chat so that you can um, uh, download it if you want. Um, so he starts out this way. So the reason I like this is because we modern people, or at least I, I'll confess, we tend to approach the second paragraph of Vahayim Shamoa kind of defensively and with apologetics. We say like, oh yeah, in ancient times, people believe that God controls the rain and we don't exactly believe that in a literal way anymore, the way it was believed in the book of Deuteronomy. So how can we make this meaningful? And we talked about, we, we, we moderns read it as meaningful because first of all, it's not individual reward and punishment, it's group reward and punishment. And we can understand it as if a society lives up to, up to its highest ideals, then the society will um, flourish. And um, if the society doesn't live up to its mitzvot, its highest ideals, then the society will wither. Remember that? We said that about six or eight weeks ago. If someone remembers that, nod your head. 
Anyone remember that? Yeah, okay, Michael remembers good. Okay, but we, we approach it, we tend to approach it from a defensive standpoint, like, oh, you know, we don't really believe literally concretely that God controls the rain in a direct way and God decides when there's a famine and God decides who's going to starve or not. So, uh, and, and that's why, you know, some of the liberal movements to the left of um, uh, conservative Judaism have actually gotten rid of the second paragraph of the Hayyam Shemoah entirely. I think in the Reconstructionist Sidur, you can say that paragraph or there's an alternative. The Reform Sidur kicked it out a long time ago because they just find it kind of backwards and awkward. And because we are conservative with a lower KC, we retain it, but we try to explain it away so that people will not find it backwards and awkward. So Eben Leader comes at it from a whole other standpoint. He says, um, he says, ancient Judaism, you can call it that, Israelite religion, ancient Judaism in temple times was an indigenous religion. And by that, he means it's an original religion of a people tied to their land. He said, just think of it as any other indigenous, indigenous religion, like, you know, Native Americans or, or whatever we think we understand about Druids or whatever, right? All indigenous religions basically believe that our people, where we live is the center of the earth. Um, our people is our deity's biggest concern. And we engage in certain ritual practices to preserve the cosmos. And the cosmos means the way we understand how the natural world works. In all indigenous religions, people see themselves as totally dependent on their natural world. And we are responsible for maintaining a ritual practice that supports God or the gods continuing to, run, continuing to run the cosmos in a way that is beneficent to us. And if we don't do that ritual properly, um, the cosmos will collapse. So that makes sense, right? So if I, said, if I said to you Native Americans or something like that, you'd say, yeah, yeah, makes sense. So um, Rav Eben says, well, just, just think of it like just think of the ancient Israelites like Native Americans. Jerusalem is the center of the world. We know there are Midrashim that the temple in, Beit, in the Beit HaMikdash, the, the temple is founded on the Evan Hashtiah or the foundation stone of the world, which, by the way, is supposed to be underneath um, the, uh, the Dome of the Rock mosque. Um, the temple is founded on the foundation stone of the world. The, Jerusalem is the center of the world. The Beit HaMikdash is the center of Jerusalem. And the cosmos, which is to say, in ancient Israelite terms, us being able to survive because the rain falls in its season is dependent on our worship there. So temple practice is designed to support the running of the universe upon which we are all dependent. Vahayim Shamoa addresses that. Now, Vahayim Shamoa is not directly connected to the temple. I'll show you how it's connected to the temple. But when he, first of all, I just want to say, when he said Vahayim Shamoa is the instinctive um, 
idea of all indigenous nations, which is to say all nations who reside in their land, who believe that they are the center of the cosmos and they are responsible for preserving worship such that the world around them, the universe will continue to run and not run smoothly and not collapse. Um, it, it got me to see the Hayyim Shamoa in a totally different light rather than like, Oh, here's this thing that we don't believe anymore. Right. Cause if it were like native American religion or something you, stu- you, you were studying, I have no doubt that our reaction would be how cool is that idea? We don't necessarily believe it literally, okay? But wow, it's a people who are integrally tied to their land and they feel tied to their land and they feel tied to nature. And he says that's basically what the core idea of the Hayyim Shamoah is. Does that make sense? Any questions or comments about that so far? And then I'm going to put up, pull up the text. Oh, no, someone's. All right, someone needs to mute themselves. Maybe Jonathan. I don't know. No, I don't know. It's called the ritual of Ma'amadot. We're going to get to Ma'amadot. Don't worry about that yet. Okay. So he says, look, um, a, a residue of this is the, is the mission in Pirkei Avot that we've all heard. Shimon Sadiq was one of the remnants of the men of the great assembly, meaning the people in the time of Ezra, late second temple times. He used to say the world stands, the world. And he says, understand this literally, not figuratively, right? The world depends, the universe depends on three things. Torah study, al ha'avodah, worship in the temple. Let's, let's not translate it to prayer or service of the heart or any of those things. Temple worship and gemilut chasadim, acts of piety or acts of kindness. So one of the three things upon which the universe stands and does not collapse is the temple service. Okay. Another Mishnah, it's a, a, a Baraita, it's an out from Tanaitic times, but outside of the official Mishnah, from Avot de Rabbi Natan. For those who know what Mishnah and Tosefta is, Avot de Rabbi Natan is kind of the Tosefta on Pirkei Avot, meaning it's Tanaitic sources from the time of the Mishnah that were not collected in the official Mishnah. They're in a secondary thing called Avot of Rabbi Natan. And Avot de Rabbi Natan's corresponding Mishnah on this one that I just read, on the temple service. As long as the service of the temple exists, the world and all its dwellers are blessed and rain comes in its time. By the way, again, I just want to say, uh, imagine this were not your religion, right? That you, that you might feel embarrassed about explaining to modern people. Uh, imagine that you just studied this in some anthropology class about some native religion, Okay. As long as the service of the temple exists, the world and all its dwellers are blessed and rain comes in its time. As it says, Quote from the second paragraph of the Shema. Okay? So the temple service is what makes the second paragraph of the Shema happen. But when the service of the temple does not exist, the world and its dwellers are not blessed and rain does not come in a timely fashion. As it says, take care not to be lured away. God will shut up the heaven and there will be no rain. If you don't worship God properly, then the rain will stop. Remember, these are the Israelites in Israel. They don't necessarily, they're not, they're not thinking about the globe, the planet, the world. They're thinking about the cosmos as they see it. 
which is rains need to come in their time for us to survive. Remember, by, by the way, what does the word cosmos mean? Anyone can unmute and say what the word cosmos means from Greek. Does it mean universe? No, it does not, not mean universe. What does cosmos mean? Come on. Someone took introduction to anthropology or introduction to religion in college. Cosmos means order. It is the opposite of chaos, which means disorder, right? So cosmos is the order of the natural universe as we find it, okay? So the order is dependent on temple service. Now, here's how it's linked to the land. Passage from Masechet Ketubot, the Talmud. When a person lives in the land of Israel, it is if they have a God. But one who lives outside of the land, it is as if they have no God. For it says, which the Talmud here interprets to mean, I am bringing you to the land so that you can have a land and then I will be your God. In other words, the ancient Jewish concept is we are a people tied to a land, and that is what connects us to our deity. This, you'd say this is very proto-Zionistic, this whole approach. It certainly is, although that's not where he went with the class. Okay? So basically, um, this is sort of the pre-exilic idea that we worship our God best in Eretz Israel. I'll come to the exilic idea later on. Okay, here's a midrash. Look at how um, the temple is tied to the cosmos. I'm going to try to get the Hebrew and English. Hard to get Hebrew and English all together. Um, There it is. Okay. Rabbi Yehuda, son of Rabbi Shalom said, we find that the Mishkan is equivalent to the creation of the world. In other words, the Mishkan is a microcosmos. It's a microcosm that reflects the universe. How? On the first day of creation, heaven and earth were created, which it says God stretches the sky like a tent cloth. God stretches it out, right? And of the Mishkan, it says, you shall make sheets of cloth to cover the Mishkan. Second day, it says, let there be a firmament to separate. And in the Mishkan, it says the curtain will separate. Vertical curtain, which is a version of the horizontal curtain that is the rakia. On the third day of creation, it says, let the waters be gathered. And in the Mishkan, it says, make a laver, which is a fancy old word for the bronze washing basin that held the water that the Kohanim washed hands and feet for with um, when they came into the temple to do their service. On the fourth day, it says, let there be lights. And in the Mishkan, it says, make a menorah. On the fifth day, birds shall fly. Uh, birds were created. And in the Mishkan, the Kruvim spread their wings. Kruvim, the mythical hybrid creatures uh, who were God's conveyance um, in the Holy of Holies. On the sixth day, let the earth bring forth living creatures, animals. And in the Mishkan, um, Adam Kiyakriv, when a person brings a sacrifice. On the seventh day, all was light, and when God entered the Mishkan, it would glow from the divine presence. In other words, this um, Midrash 
goes a step further conceptually. And it says, when we talk about in the temple, the temple service supporting the running of the universe, the cosmos, okay? Um, it's because part of that is the temple. Again, you have to think of your, uh, uh, your anthropology class um, or my daughter in the, in the Hamilton Humanities Magdalene High School, they did a unit for six weeks on sacred architecture. You know, why church buildings and mosques and other temples are laid out in a particular way and what, are, what physical representations are there in places of worship that reflect core ideas of the worshiping community. So this Midrash is saying, basically the Mishkan or the temple is, because uh, the Mishkan is just the forerunner of the Beit HaMikdash, the temple in Jerusalem. The temple is a microcosm of the universe. It reflects, and when they say the universe here, they mean creation. So we are responsible for the worship of the temple, which helps support the cosmos so that the world can continue to survive. And this cosmos idea is linked to, logically enough, the story of creation, the beginning of time when God set up the natural world. So here we have a series of links that worship in the temple supports the functioning of the world of nature. Everyone with me so far? So here's a Mishnah. So here's the question that is raised, um, which I think I'm not going to go into. I think I might have skipped the question. Uh, but the question is, okay, if we do that service to support the universe, um, what about the fact that we live in some village in the Galilee and don't come, don't come to the temple except on pilgrimages? So the sacrifice in the temple every day was the morning and evening sacrifice. Our Shachri and Mincha commemorate the morning and evening sacrifice. It was a sheep, by the way, Erev um, uh, And um, here's, and this Mishnah that we're, that we're about to do talks about how the, temple how the temple sacrifice represents our worship, our and ancient times. Basically, and this, this was in late second temple times, the entire Jewish people in the land of Israel was divided into 24 shifts, they were called Mishmarot or Ma'amadot, and they were regional and geographic. Every shift had Kohanim, Leviim, and then regular folks from our geographic district. Each shift had a week, twice a year, not two weeks consecutive, but one week, twice a year. 24 plus 24, 48, four weeks to a month, 12 months to a year, lunar calendar, 48 months. So what happened during our Ma'amad's shift, the Kohanim from our village or our town, our region, would go to the temple in Jerusalem and they would do the Kohen worship. They would do the sacrifices. The Levim from our town would go to Jerusalem and they would do what the Levim did, the helping and the singing, et cetera, et cetera. And the Israelites would gather together in their town during that week and they would have rituals. So in other words, we are sending our Kohanim and our Levi'im to the temple to do the sacrificial worship for that week. And then we are gathering in support of them. We can't all go. We're, we're farmers and villagers. We have to stay where we are. They're representing us and we are supporting them with our prayers. So look at this Mishnah. Three times a year, the priests raise their hands in blessing four times a day, which means uh, um, Birkat Kohanim, 
parenthetical statement. When I went to that backyard bar mitzvah daily minion two or three weeks ago, I leaned over to Rabbi Kligfeld and I said, one of the things that I miss the most with our Zoom minyanim is that we don't have Birkat Kohanim. I really, I really miss that, that we don't have the, the Yivar Rechecha as part of Chazar I feel like it's sort of an important part of the service and it's missing. So there are three times a year when the Kohanim do this four times a day, meaning there are four services, right? The one we're most familiar with, of course, is Yom Kippur, right? That would be Shachri, uh, Musaf, Mincha, and Ne'ilah, but also on fast days and also on the Ma'amad. That's this shift period, one week, twice a year. What is the Ma'amad? The Torah says, command the children of Israel to bring the daily sacrifice. All of B'nai Israel has to bring the daily sacrifice. How can we bring the daily sacrifice if we're not actually there? To solve this problem, the ancient prophets established 24 shifts. Each shift included a presence or ma'amad of priests, Levites, and Israelites. When it was the shift's turn to go to Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites went to Jerusalem, and the Israelites of that shift gathered in their towns. So what did we do in Second Temple times? when we gather during our ma'amad to support the temple service, that's how we participated in the temple service. They recited the story of creation. Okay. So Rabbi, Rabbi, Rabbi Evan Leader says, in the end, then the fundamental myth, which means the core story about what we are about in temple times was the story of creation. When we go into exile, we're no longer in the land and the cosmos we live in feels different because not every place is dependent on the rain and its seasons the same way Eretz Israel is. Then our fundamental myth shifts. What is our core fundamental myth for us, for us diaspora Jews? If I said to you, what's, you know, tell your Christian friend, what's the main thing that Judaism is about what's the what's the story that undergirds Judaism? Larry, then Marshall. It's the Mitzrayim. One or two, right? We we were slaves in Egypt and now we're free. Which means that God doesn't want anyone to be slaves. God doesn't want. It's the overturning of the Pharaonic order, et cetera, et cetera. Marshall, were you going to say different? Same, 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 same thing, Avi. Exactly right. So if you ask most contemporary rabbis, what's the main core message of Judaism? What is our founding myth? So he uh, so. Uh, our, our teacher says that was not our original founding myth. The original founding myth is the story of creation. That's the core story. We are a people of nature connected to nature in our land. And our worship is responsible for making sure that the cosmos continues safely so that we can all live. Once we get disconnected from land, that no longer works as our core religious myth. Psychologically, sociologically, need a different core religious myth that's transportable that has to do with peoplehood rather than land. We fully become a people disconnected from land, a universal people outside of the land. This is after the destruction of the temple. Makes sense. Larry is nodding his head. So I'm going to close with one final thing. So I found all this very interesting. So I'm going to close with one final thing. So why was this part of the big, the, the big Jewish climate fest? Because um, he says that, on the one hand, we are diaspora people with a portable myth. We're a nation. On the other hand, something was lost with the breaking of our 
um, linkage to the natural world. And we who are more eco-conscious in contemporary times might want to try to recapture that link and have some way of commemorating for our ancient ancestors. The core mythic story was Maase Breshit. It was Genesis chapter one. Okay. And how can we recapture a little bit of Genesis chapter one? So apparently at Boston Hebrew College at Morning Minion, they do a version of the Ma'amad every morning. They have, so he's composed a little prayer with the little forward and a little afterward. And they read that day of creation. On Sunday, they read Breshit paragraph one. On Monday, they read the second day. On Tuesday, here they read the third day. So he's got a little, I'm going to scroll down. He has a little Kabbalistic, this is sort of a standard Kabbalistic intro, which is I do this mitzvah to unify the divine on behalf of da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then they actually recite the story of Tuesday, right? We would recite the Tuesday. And then they have a little closing that he composed, which is basically about here, I'm going to read it because it's lovely instead of just say you can see it. We read the day of creation, which is the part of the greater story of creation, all made of one, a weave in which every part is connected and lost. May the, may the merit of the reciting this Mahmad allow me to hear the voice that echoes through the world daily saying, quote, meaning God said this, this is a midrash that God says to Adam. God took him, Adam to the garden and said, observe all that I have made, how beautiful and wondrous all my creations are. Pay attention that you do not ruin and destroy my world. That's a quote from a midrash that Hashem showed Adam the world and said, you're in charge of it now. Don't screw it up. And may I merit being counted among those who construct and not those who do damage. Okay. So basically, um, I like this. He, he said something funny. He said at Hebrew college, because it's non-denominational, uh, morning minion is different every morning, depending on um, who's leading it. They could be reformed, they could be orthodox, they could be conservative. He said, you never know what you're going to get, but it always ends with mourners, Kaddish, and the Ma'amad. So that at least you know, that's a fixed thing. Everything else changes depending on who's leading morning minion. Um, I'm going to stop the screen share so I can see everyone. Um, and he says, that's kind of their way of trying to resuscitate the idea of that we Jews are connected to the universe. We don't have a temple anymore. We may not literally believe in the rain thing, but we can't be bisman hazeh when we're sort of conscious of humans' role in the universe and the importance of our role that we can preserve the garden or we can destroy the garden, right? We have the power to, to tend it or we have the power to destroy it, um, as it says in the Midrash. And we today, because of our understanding of global warming, et cetera, et cetera, the role of human action on the globe, we certainly have a very clear understanding of that. He says it's really important for us to kind of recapture some of this idea of um, we are connected to the universe. We are connected to nature. And a way to do that is to have this little daily ma'amad where ritually we recollect 
some memory of creation to try to have the consciousness as I go through my day. You know, I'm a creature put on, I'm a descendant of Adam and Eve. I'm a creature put on this planet to tend the garden rather than to destroy it. It's all up to us to take care of it or to ruin it. That's how this session got into the Jewish global um, uh, climate fest last week. So I found it uh, just a fascinating story, um, an, an interesting example of how to create new ritual to rediscover pieces of old ritual that could feel meaningful to repurpose them. Okay. Um, just like, you know, you go to an antique shop and you get something and you repurpose it. It used to be used for that, but uh, you know, it used to be a spittoon, but now I can use it to hold nuts, you know, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, sorry for that example. Um, <laughs> um, and it also gave me a really different way of understanding Vahayim Shamoa and appreciating the second paragraph of the Shema in a different light. So I have really not done justice to his shiur, but I've done the best I could to convey it. Questions, comments, yeah, sure. we'll go on for another couple of minutes. Joanna, then Ilana, then Mike. Joanna, unmute. Thank you. Um, I'm going back to where your teaching started this morning with um, that famous quote, Al HaTorah ve'al HaAvodah ve'al Gemilut Chasadim, and back yeah. to the Garden of Eden story, when um, Adam and Chava are placed in the Garden of Eden, and God says to them, I've given you this land, Le'ovda u'leshomra. Yes, yes, right. So Le'ovda is a double, well, it's, I was going to say double entendre, but it's at least a double entendre. It could be a triple entendre, but la'avod means uh, just to work, but it means to work the land, but it also means to worship, to do service. So prayer is called avodah shebalev, worship from the heart, right? And the temple service is called worship, but it also means land labor. Sorry if I cut you off, Joanna. No, 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 no. I'm just saying it's just in the shiur, it's a very interesting interplay between those two ideas. Yes, Absolutely. Great. Ilana? Um, This is not a substantive comment, but uh, a request. Is there some way, I don't know if you would have to get permission to share this written down. I had no way of capturing it, and I'm a really slow note taker. (laughs) Yeah, I'm gonna, well, I don't know about the, um, I don't know about the, uh, I mean, to share, if possible, to share yeah. exactly what you yeah, shared. I don't know about the cl- yeah, I don't know about the class. I, I, you know, I don't know if his class was recorded. If it was, it was great. I'd look for it. Um, I'm going to, between now and next week, I'm going to figure out how to uh, put the, I, I, I used to know how to do this and I've forgotten. So I can't, in the next three seconds, put the document in the chat box, but I will next week. I will learn by next week email? how to put the, I, well, I don't have an email list of everything. I'm going to put it in the chat box next week. Okay. okay. Or in the, Mike, in, the what, Mike, in the WhatsApp. In the WhatsApp. Okay, or I'll put it in the WhatsApp. That's really complicated because it has to jump from my computer into my phone. I'm really not sure how to do that, but I'll try. Um, uh, Mike, then Tom. Yes, I was just curious whether this daily discussion of creation at the end, followed by Mourner's Cottage, replaced the daily psalm, or was this in addition to? Did he mention that? Um, I didn't ask that question, and he didn't say. Okay. I don't know. Tom. Um, Yashar Koch. I, by the way, so, sorry, by the way, wait one second. It actually might make sense that it 
might. I mean, you could say that the psalm is a memory of what the the priests did, the Levim did in the temple long ago, and we're kind of doing this creation thing as a reenactment, I'm going to put it in quotes, connection to temple service. So I guess I'd say I wouldn't be offended if it did replace the daily psalm. I actually really like the daily psalms. Um, I'd miss them if I didn't have them. I would hope it would be the Jewish thing of we don't subtract, we just add, 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 and the service becomes longer and longer and longer. But I don't actually know. I know someone who's in rabbinical school there now. I'll I'll send him an email and I'll ask him. Tom. Can you... Wait, Tom. Uh, Tom yeah, yeah, sure. Koch. I, I really like this. What I mean, what it did for me was, I, I think a lot of us always think of that paragraph as being a, a, about reward and punishment. And that's why we're so uncomfortable with it. You know, if you right. do this, if you do yes. all things, then everything will be okay. And instead, it's like about order, sort of understanding the order of the universe, the order and how we fit into it, how, how the rituals right. fit into it. Um, that it's it's it make, it's making sense of it rather than saying it's you know good bad reward punishment. Yes, it's it's saying we are a nature people. The Jews are a nature people who are who want to rem- want to remember that we are connected to the universe. The universe meaning the natural world, yeah. right? Yeah, um, Ilana, you want to add something? Yeah, I'm sorry. Can you, can you just restate the source at the very beginning of the uh, Shloshad Varim? It's stated differently a few times in um, different places, right? Well, there's two of them. One is Al HaTorav, Al HaVodav, Al Gmilut Chasadim. I mean, right. there are two of them in Pirkei Avot. There's also one that says Al HaEmet, Al HaDin, Al HaShalom, right? The world stands on three things. Al right. HaTorah, Torah, right. Torah study, right. Torah learning. Al HaVodah, worship, Al Gmilut Chasadim, whatever that means, acts of kindness, Right. But he but the guy who said that said that while the temple was still standing, hmm. meaning Avodah does not mean prayer when hmm. he was saying it. He it means temple sacrifice. Right. 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 Again, by the way, because we are so far estranged as modern people, because we are so far estranged from the consciousness of ancient farmers, right? Um, the whole idea of temple service strikes us as icky, right? It's animal sacrifice. It's messy. It's bloody. Daf Yomi now is like in the middle of Masechet Psachim. And it's like, you know, on Shabbat, whenever Shabbat falls on Pesach, you're allowed to, uh, even though normally you wouldn't be able to do a Shabbos, you're allowed to puncture the intestines of the Passover sacrifice to clean out the schmutz so that you can offer the sacrifice properly. Okay. So like you're given these images like, ugh, disgusting. I think I'll become a vegetarian if I wasn't already one. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so it's very hard for us to connect to this, farmer world of crops and animals which involves sometimes killing and eating the animals and not having them come in you know styrofoam with plastic around it but you know where your meat comes from people lived in a world where that was a day-to-day kind of thing so the, the fact that we're so far removed from that even if we're not vegetarians we like our meat to come in uh you know styrofoam with plastic around it both of which the Jewish climate, big Jewish climate fest talked about in terms of the evil of plastics and the need for 
recycling and how we can't recycle our way out of this mess because there isn't enough room in, on the planet for all the recycling and all the landfill. But um, we're, we're just so far removed from this temple worship that it does not resonate with us anymore, right? We have to really transcend this huge gap of how we live relative to how other people, how we lived back then, um, 2,000, 3,000 years ago to be able to connect to it. And it's really hard to connect to it psychologically, right? So, so Evan Leader isn't saying, oh, we should go back and do sacrifices. He should, he's saying the way we did sacrifices was, was in our temple was a, a statement of how we are connected to the natural world, and we need to have ways to remind ourselves, Bisman Hazeh, in our own times, how we are connected to the natural world, that we're put in this world to le'ovda, as Joanna said, as it says in, in Genesis chapter 2, to worship or to work it or to serve it or to tend the garden. Um, and we need some sort of, it's not need, it's helpful to have a ritual enactment to remind us of that daily. Okay. We're running over. I'll put, put the document in the chat next week. Everyone have a great day. Do mitzvahs, do Torah. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to TBA. LA.org.